Hi everyone, welcome back to Sparkle on Substack. I've got an amazing episode planned for you today. Um, I'm joined by Annie. Hi Annie. Hi Claire. So we are recording on a Saturday. I'm laughing because it's the juggle, isn't it? So this morning I was at the house at nine, took my daughter swimming, tried to kind of tire out the girl who has the energy of a thousand summers and now I'm back (laughs) and I've kind of slotted into my office and just made sure I've got everything around me. So we're going to get going. I'm going to let Annie introduce herself and then we're going to delve into all things Substack. We're going to talk about Annie's career, her plans for Substack and all lots of other good stuff. Hi, Annie. Would you like to tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. Hi, Claire. Thank you for having me. Um, so I'm a writer first. I trained as a journalist and I've worked as a freelance journalist for lots of years. And I also write nonfiction books. So my third just came out earlier this year and I've got a fourth one in the pipeline and I write poetry and now I'm on Substack and this is becoming my monthly kind of focus and income particularly between writing books so I'm a writer but I've also run businesses and I'm a coach and so I sort of bring all of that into my Substack as well and my business and marketing knowledge is helping me to grow my Substack uh, usefully so I feel I feel like I'm a writer first and that's the main bulk of my work but also coach entrepreneur love well. it thank you and it, there's such a weird set of coincidences that have brought me to invite you to record because in the summer we were down house sitting in Plymouth for some friends as they were on holiday and my little girl was having a nap and I just scanned the bookshelf and I was like, oh, I wonder what I can read while she's napping. I was really trying to stay off my phone quite consciously, just have some downtime. And there was your first book. And I was uh-huh. like, this is interesting. This looks really cool. And I was trying to think back, like, have I seen this stuff before? Like, have I connected to it online? Because the online, especially on Instagram, just got really, really busy for me. And I was like, Mm. maybe I've seen this stuff, but maybe it was with my first child, you know. So I delved straight in and like I read the whole thing from cover to cover. I was like dipping in and out. And I was like, actually, I'm just going to start and read Annie's story. So I was really, really pleased to have found that book and to have connected to it. And I was like, damn, like I didn't have this when I had my first child. This would have been so, so useful. So I'd love to know a little bit about what brought you to writing that book. Um, obviously, there was so much wisdom in it. There was so much cheerleading and handholding and very like practical advice around how much to charge and kind of working through all of those blocks that we sometimes have. And I'm really passionate about people's process. You know, I'm just quite geeky about creative process. So I'd love to know if you could tell everybody a little bit more about how that felt and how you got started and how you got it finished as well with them um, with your first yeah, so I, when I had, when I became pregnant with my first baby in 2013, I was working as a copywriter for a big tech company, very male company, and they told me when they discovered that I was pregnant in a meeting that I was going to lose my job as soon as I left to have my baby, the contract would be terminated, and that was it, no maternity pay or cover. And I was in shock. And also we didn't have amazing um, organisations like Pregnant Then Screwed telling us that this is illegal. And so I panicked. I said, if they weren't going to give me any maternity pay, they needed to double my day rate, which they did. And so I saved up a bunch of money for my maternity leave, but didn't know what, what my future career was going to look like. Then I had my baby and actually I was really grateful that I didn't have to return to my corporate copywriting job because I just wanted to be with her. So I was living with my parents for a while with my baby 
and I was sat at the kitchen table sort of looking looking on Google for jobs you can do from home and was thinking about doing transcription because pre-AI it was <laughs> all done by humans and I started looking to all different jobs I could do from home and then I was like well actually I'm a journalist I, that's what I trained in I'd done bits of freelance journalism so I thought I would um, break into that world make a, a more concerted effort to do it properly I'd ended up in copywriting because it was it paid really well and I needed to be earning money. And so I started to look into journalism. I did get briefly a job on a, an online magazine a couple of days a week. And my parents would have my daughter one day. My sister had her the other day. And it was already lovely. But when that magazine folded, I was a bit fed up with things folding around me or me being um, told I didn't have a job anymore. And so I decided to launch my own online platform um, which was called The Early Hour. And it was designed for parents who, like me, had young children, babies, and were up early in the morning and wanted something interesting to read. So I'd publish an article at 5am every morning, and it might be an interview with like a working mum or dad, um, or it might be an article about something motherhood related. And then there was lots of culture and lifestyle stuff. So it wasn't just with a parenting focus. And that platform grew really quickly and I'd share all the articles on Facebook and then Instagram. And back then more people would see the things that you put out. It wasn't, the algorithm wasn't so selective and you didn't pay pay for ads to get your content out there. So I had loads of traffic and it was growing and it became this sort of digital platform that probably looked a lot bigger from the outside than it felt from the inside because it was mostly just me. I had journalist friends who would write articles for free which was really nice um and had lots of uh, PR people sort of getting in contact with people's stories but um I've never re I never properly monetized it I did a, a business course through the Prince's Trust and it was amazing and they taught me to see myself as a business owner not as a mum with a little hobby on the side this you know website hobby and and I went through a kind of Dragon's Den style um, presentation with them where they would decide if my business was viable. And I'd written this whole business plan. They said, said it was. And I went through. But I never managed to properly monetize it um, as I'd planned. I had little bits of money from sponsorship um, and ads and things like that. But I couldn't live off it. And I was working so hard on it. And I had after. So I had my daughter was one when I started the early hour. And then when she turned two, I was pregnant with my second baby. So soon I had two young kids at home. I was running this, this sort of platform business that wasn't bringing enough money. I was feeling really stressed. Um, but I then got a contract to work uh, as a copywriter for a well-being app that I kind of co-founded. And uh, so then I had money coming in. I stepped back a little bit from the early hour and then suddenly this I got this book deal because I knew someone who knew someone I had a new friend she knew someone in publishing and I was like do you think she'd be interested in me writing a book and my original book idea was about parenting around the world or something quite vague in general but because I'd interviewed all these different uh, parents in very different life and family dynamics and situations I thought it would make an interesting book to tell some of these stories. And she did like the idea, but her the rest of the, the publishing house didn't. But she came back to me six months later and she said, what is interesting is that you're freelancing around your kids and you're managing to grow this business, uh, do this work from home in this really flexible way. Could you write a book on that? 
And so I said I would, and then I started writing it. And then we decided it would be called The Freelance Mum because um, I felt that the the juggle was different for the mother often than the father. It certainly was in our home. My husband was out at work as a builder, nine to five every day. And I was at home doing everything during those hours with the kids. I was up more in the night. I took on a lot more of the parenting in the early years. And my work had to flex around that. So I wrote a book which would help other women who wanted to keep their foot in the door of their existing career or to take uh, whatever work they were doing where they were employed pre-kids and turn it into a freelance career. And so it was a guide to doing that with an understanding of the challenges we face as mothers trying to look after young kids and work while we're tired and everything else. But that book, that came out I think it was 2019. Feels like quite a long time ago. Was that right? Yeah, 2019. And then I'd had another baby by then, or I was pregnant with my third baby. And then I launched an online course off the back of the book because people were really interested in in the how to get your own PR, that chapter of the book, how to get PR for your business or freelance work. So I launched a course and then that course sort of took off I launched it completely on a whim in a really basic way. And it was obviously answering a need. And then I started an online course business off the back of that. And that became my focus for a couple of years. I love all of that. I love hearing that story. And I love the magic of like, oh, you know, there was a book deal. It just sort of was there. And it's, of course, more complicated than that, isn't it? It's about finding the book that you want to write that works for you, but also that people think is going to fly and that people want to read. And I just I love any title where it's really obvious what it is. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm a freelance mom. I've been a freelance mom since I became a mother in 2014. Um, I've been freelance since 2008. And in 2008 2008 to 14 really I was relying on big contracts so it felt like I was employed it didn't feel Mm. like I was freelance but when I had my little boy I was like oh no this needs to be done in a whole different way like I need to throw away the nine to five I need to throw away that kind of security of being plugged into an organization and all the lovely cheese cheese lunches that they would do we would have a cheese day every now and again (laughs) but what at one place and I just wanted the freedom you know I just wanted to be able to work around him and to make it work and it felt scary and terrifying but now I feel like we've learned so much like you know when you were saying well I made this course and I put it out in the world and it and it did really well you know it's it's both brave and we can be generous in testing our ideas can't we with our audiences and go you know what I feel like you guys want this do you want this and then that's reflected back yeah. And what you said um, just a minute ago about how a book deal, I've made it sound like it happened really easy and it doesn't. And you've got to think of your idea. Mm. Actually, there. so I teach a course or I used to teach a course on how to get a nonfiction book deal. And of course, what you've said is right. And if you develop a niche and if you design a book that fits with your niche and the audience you're growing, that's more likely to get you a book deal. But I've also seen that if you're creating content online not necessarily with the intention of getting a book deal sometimes you will be approached by a publisher um, or an editor on a magazine I had this the other day I put out an Instagram post um, about something parenting related just because I wanted to say it with no intention of anything happening off the back of it and an editor at Red Magazine contacted me and said can you write an article on this it's really interesting so sometimes it is I mean, it's definitely worth if you feel inspired to be sharing any writing, content, post, Substack articles, um, 
if you do it and you keep doing it, you start to grow a community of people and you can't even always see why they're following you or what they're interested in, but you you are central to everything that you're writing and that can open doors. And with the freelance mum, that is what happened. She could see my community that I'd grown around the early hour, my digital yeah. platform, and she joined the dots and said, actually, should you write this book? So it wasn't a book that I had pitched. It was mm. it was quite different, really. And then what is the story with your next two books? Because you've got three out in the world, right? Yeah. So the next one I then wanted. So, so there's a chapter in The Freelance Mum on confidence because I felt weirdly more confident after I had my baby. I suddenly felt um, really empowered and like I could just go out in the world and, and do anything. Maybe it was giving birth and becoming a mum and I'd always wanted that and suddenly I just felt really like I'm I'm gonna try and do whatever I want to do also I I love that I love that I could (laughs) say so much to that I do think there's a real empowerment sometimes isn't there like you say going through the birth portal and then also having the responsibility of this tiny little human and seeing ourselves in that and seeing where we've grown and come from since we were just babies and you know kind of striding out in the world there's a bravery for sure that comes maybe some of it's hormonal and this won't be every mother's experience but it definitely was my experience but in both both times you know both times I've been yes yeah yeah, I yeah, I definitely had that. My mum had told me, you're, after you have a baby, and it, you're right, it doesn't happen for everyone, but she said, after you have a baby, you'll feel like superwoman and you can do anything. And I did, and I was like, give them birth, and I can also do all these things. And then I like, crashed a few months later. But um, on the whole, I felt really good, but I was seeing um, around me that there were other women who weren't feeling so confident, who didn't know what work they should be doing after they'd had kids or if they should be working at all or who knew they didn't want to work but didn't feel... Um, confident to to take that path so I could just see a general low confidence amongst women so I started thinking I would like to write a book on confidence and as I spoke to my editor the same editor Michelle at Fourth Estate who'd published The Freelance Mum I was talking about this book idea and I said you know I I was a really shy child and I moved from being this shy child um, to becoming very confident as an adult and perhaps if you looked at me as a child, you wouldn't have imagined that I would end up, I would have ended up doing some of the things I've done, like public speaking in front of hundreds of people. I couldn't have imagined that I would be doing that as an adult when I was little. And she said, that's really interesting. The shyness thing. I want, I want a book on shyness. And I was saying, you know, I think my shyness has been helpful and it's, it kept me kind of, it made, I was quiet and I kept my head down and I got on with work and I observed and I think that's why I wanted to become a journalist so I could sit and ask the questions rather than being the the person who uh, someone else was asking questions of. And so I was saying, I think that shyness is an attribute. We only ever hear about it in terms of, you know, don't be shy and, oh, he's feeling a bit shy today. And it's always this quite negative thing. And I was like, I don't, I don't think it's a negative thing. I love shy children. I have one shy child. And I think it can be such a beautiful thing. So we decided that the second book would be um, called Shy and about how being shy can can be an attribute, not a flaw. And so I started interviewing lots of psychologists and psychotherapists to make sure that I was right and that there was nothing wrong with shyness. And I was right. And they all said there's nothing wrong with it as long as the person, the shy person is okay. It's a personality trait. It's part genetic, part condition. 
um and that they and they agreed that it can uh make you quite socially clever because the shy child and the shy adult will sit back and observe a social dynamic whether that's at school or in a new job that you're going into and then you work out what the hierarchy is and where you might fit in and you sort of edge in at the right place rather than sort of going in in this very uh, outgoing extroverted way and possibly making the wrong decision and so I wrote a book to help other people adults and there's a bit on on childhood shyness who are shy to see that it can be I don't superpowers a bit overused as a term now but I think that it can be something really beautiful to work with rather than something that you necessarily need to overcome Super fascinating. I love that. I definitely want to read that book. I've been on a real journey with understanding some of the people that I know in real life that may, might describe themselves as shy. And in the early days of blogging, you know, I was fascinated with their blogs. I was like, look at all of this that they've got to say. But knowing them in real life, they tended to be quite quiet. So oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah so the online real, world is, yeah. yeah, just them finding their voice and yeah. cultivating what they want to say. But it it's all in there it's there's no shyness when it was coming to the blogging page and I was I was fascinated with it I think I probably was the other way around so I'm quite introverted but I was kind of confident enough in person but my writing voice and my crafting that whole bit took some time some years that's Um, so interesting yeah no I know it's it's it is interesting isn't it because I would read people's writing and think how do they write so confidently Mm. but I would present as confident and then wouldn't do the yeah it's an interesting one isn't it I think it's so interesting in relation to what we're seeing on Substack and what's happening and how people are Mm -hmm. kind of finding their voice there and crafting their voice there I do want to ask you about your third book and then we'll jump into Substack stuff if that's all right sure yeah the third book um was is with a different publisher and this one is called Raise Your SQ and it came out in May and it's about spiritual intelligence Mm -hmm. so I was raised in a quite spiritual home. We didn't necessarily refer to ourselves as spiritual, but we all had this sort of belief that there was something beyond body and mind. If someone had passed away, we might sense the uh, a presence or something. And we would talk about these things quite casually. And I didn't ever think about the fact that maybe other people didn't think in that same way. And as I got a bit older, when I was a teenager, my mum sent me off to do Reiki um, energy healing And then she would use oracle cards if I had a question, like I started at a university in Liverpool and when I was about 19 or 20 and it wasn't really working out. And I went back to London to see my parents and my mum pulled out her oracle cards and said, why didn't you ask the oracle cards what what to do? Which And I did. And the oracle cards told me how I perceived the reading to be was that they said I should leave. So I did. And so I had all these spiritual tools. that I would use. And when I started to grow my online course business, I was using tarot to help me make decisions. And I got this old magic spell book. don't know if I can show you somewhere in my office. Um, and I would use these spells to help me with business growth. And then when I started to burn out post pandemic, I started to use um, the same spiritual tools to help me to feel better in myself and to feel more grounded and to sort of see the magic and the joy of life again. So I, it actually took me quite a long time to get the book deal on this one because spirituality is becoming more mainstream. I mean, it used to be just what everyone was without question. But in now we have, you know, there are some religious people, there are 
some spiritual people and there are lots of people who don't think that they believe in anything or who don't believe in anything. So to write a book on um, how you can use these spiritual tools to help with business success as well as general well-being was maybe a bit too woo-woo for some agents and some publishers. So I ended up kind of having a lot of near conversations and conversations with agents and then they disappear. And it was this really weird long journey until eventually I found Megan, who is my agent at Bergstrom. And she loved the idea and was totally on board and we work really well together. And we put together the proposal and um, started sending it out. And then she got me my book deal with Radar um, to write Raise Your SQ. And it was the loveliest book to write because while I was teaching people how to raise their SQ, which is spiritual quotient, but I call it spiritual intelligence. um, I was having to do all these SQ raising rituals and practices like breath work and meditation. And I went for a massage in a yurt and I was doing like non-linear movement, mad sort of dancing, jiggling around to music and all these things that just made me feel so amazing. So I was sort of doing it and then writing about it. And it was the most like lovely period possibly ever of my life writing that book it just everything felt so lovely and joyful and calm and quite magical and so I wrote that book and it yeah it's now out in the world that's so brilliant Annie I'm just like fascinated and I'm desperate to pause the podcast and just get the books ordered you know like I really want to go on and order them both I'm just fascinated in that journey through as well from the very practical okay I've lost my job in tech I'm writing the freelance mom I'm doing the early hour all of that stuff of like making it work and then this awakening of I've actually got a big story to tell about spirituality spiritual development everything that went on and everything that I'm anchored by because I feel like as women sometimes we hold those parts of us back because we might be Mm -hmm. frightened of the reaction or we have friends like you say who are just very black and white about things and are very uncomfortable about those spaces and I've always been in those spaces you know I kind of I met my husband at a yoga class he's a yoga teacher Mm -hmm. you know we've been on some real journeys together around our own kind of spiritual awakenings and Mm -hmm. coming to do the work that we feel purposefully driven to do so for me hearing that and hearing your journey is super fascinating and a especially around the oracle cards and coming to the oracle cards in decision making because sometimes I don't know whether you find this but the pace of what happens online and I know you've written about this in your content I've read it recently about this kind of boom and bust energy it can come at us and we're like wow like are we holding it do we hold it do we separate ourselves from it it's a big energy right so Mm -hmm. I am super curious and fascinated in this space and talking to you about this because you do hold space for large online platforms you know and I'm doing the kind of in inverted commas because I know it feels different to everyone but you seem very guided in your work as well so it feels like okay it's effortless in some ways but I'd love you to speak to that kind of how you hold space for such big online energies and how that all feels and works and how you pull yourself out of it as well and go, okay, I'm just going to recalibrate and I'm going to move away from it all. It'd be so cute. So good to know. That's a really good question. Um, well, I do have to remind myself, for instance, before coming to speak to you today, I wanted to do some breath work. My husband has taken my the three kids out for the day so that I can speak with you and write my Substack article, which I'm scheduling because my kids are on half term next week. So I want everything scheduled. 
So I've got this day to myself and I was kind of moving quite slowly. And then I was had an hour until we were going to speak. And I was like, I need to do some breath work. But instead, I started writing my article and felt really inspired and I was going for it. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll do some breath work. I have a breath work thing playing on my phone next to me while I write the article. And I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> Two <laughs> things don't work together. You can't be working and meditating. You have to switch off and just be in that moment. Have you done breath work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so the, the yoga class that we met at was um, a style of yoga called forest yoga. So there's a lot focused on the breath around that. And yeah. I do find it really interesting how I navigate my own breath in showing up to the keyboard. I'm very aware of it. And mm. I totally connect to what you're saying when you feel inspired. But we often are, as we're writing, recounting experiences, going into things that might have happened in the past, going into how we feel. And so that pause to take some breathwork action. I love that. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But for, for those listening who don't know about breathwork, because I didn't know until like the last year as kind of separate to breathing, which is obviously very important um, to be breathing deeply um, and sort of aware, aware of our breath. But the breathwork that I do, I usually use a Wim Hof recording on YouTube or um, I've got a friend, Claire, who's an amazing breathwork practitioner and I go to sessions live with her um, and it's like the most incredible meditation when you go in and you're just focusing on your breath and then I feel my body like tingling and just filling with this energy and it feels like such a good gateway for someone who feels they're not spiritual like my husband who was like I'm not spiritual and then he did a breathwork session with Claire my friend and his whole body was tingling and he was like having these amazing thoughts and ideas and he came out of it and said actually maybe I am a bit spiritual so I think that's a really good practice for anyone who um is curious about spirituality um it's a really good um in I think Mm. so but it definitely isn't I can't be working and doing that I need to separate the two so sometimes I do have to remind myself um, that it's okay to want to work and to do the kind of SQ stuff later, the spiritual intelligence stuff. Um, But also sometimes if I'm feeling really stressed and really indecisive, and I will, I mostly do feel confident and decisive with my writing and with what I put out on Substack and Instagram. But lately, in the past few weeks, it's been a very difficult space on Instagram with all that we've been seeing in the news. And I haven't known how to respond. And I've kind of frozen and then I haven't said anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And at times like that, that's when I won't just keep plowing on. I'll stop and I will move away from screens and I'll do something to centre myself um, se- separate. Keep, I'll stay away from the kind of work environment mm-hmm. um, to just think a bit more deeply mm-hmm. and connect with my body, mind, spirit. But in terms of putting out content... I guess I've been writing for a lot of years. So there are going to be people who are joining Substack who aren't writers first, who are maybe there's lots of food people joining and um, artists and uh, all different types of practitioners and creatives who have their practice and then they're writing articles about it or, or bringing it into their articles. Because I'm a writer first, I find the writing side of it really easy and I particularly I started out on Substack doing just personal essays one a week and that for me like easy is the wrong word but I think easeful Mm. is how it feels 
it feels like the most like aligned lovely process to put together a piece of writing that's in the first person so it's my thoughts and feelings and uh, people sometimes do question me and disagree with me but on the whole because it's very personal I tend to get away with not I don't really get trolled or get much sometimes people misunderstand me I wrote an Instagram post the other day about lazy parenting which is about how my style of parenting is to sit back and not get very involved at all in my children's play. And they'll be like, you know, can you come build a den with me? And I'll say, no, you go and build a den. I'll come and see it when it's when it's finished. And they get on with it. And it's had a quite a positive effect in terms of the three children, my three children playing really well together and becoming really creative and coming up with their own ideas and not just always expecting me to um, provide the ideas and the play. And someone, and so I wrote this thing about how great lazy parenting is and what it's helped. You know, it means that my daughter bakes cakes on her own and learned to ride a bike. And this woman was like, this is not lazy parenting. This is, you know, this is a good way to parent. And I was like, oh, no, it's it's tongue in cheek. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, So sometimes I have to explain what I've written, but mostly I don't mostly. I am quite careful. I think it might look like I just throw out content sometimes. But I'm not, if it's about something potentially controversial, I'm I'm very careful. Um, I remember doing something years ago around in the time of when I was publishing articles on the early hour. So I'd had my second baby and I'd scheduled three months of content to go out. And some of it was repurposing old content. And this article went out, which was about vaccines. I mean, now it would be even more <laughs> polarizing, but um, about whether you should vaccinate your children. And I had uh sort of he says I think they're both men he says he says two different views on yes you should no you shouldn't and I'd put it out the first time and no one had really cared then I republished it when in this period I was trying to have some time away from work with my new baby and it shared automatically on Instagram I'd scheduled the post to go out through Hootsuite or something and people went crazy on Instagram and they were how dare you say this and I can't believe you featured this man sloppy journalism and it was really intense the reaction and I had a tiny new baby and I just didn't realize how controversial because I thought vaccinating your children is a choice and it is a choice I now have stronger views on it personally but um there is still choice and Maybe it was just how I presented both sides or who I'd chosen. I don't know. So that, that kind it of... Is, it is a triggering topic, isn't it? Like there's no getting yeah. away from that. It just is. And it is, it's where it lands, isn't it? And like you say, you're in this little cave, this womb-like cave, yes. just kind of going, wow, wait. And it's yeah. past you that's kind of gone, oh, yeah, we'll just kind of make sure everybody's got content to read and look yes. after everybody that way. And this is the thing, like once something's out, it, it has got its own energy, you know, yeah. it will just take off. And actually, is that our responsibility? I don't know that it is, you know, like in the moment we've made those decisions, it's gone out, we can respond to it or not. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't the have feeling, any experience with, with trolls or anything like that yet. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully that's that clear, but yeah, yeah that, that wasn't so much trolling as just people disagreeing. Yeah, some people wanted to have their voice. Language. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I just don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to upset people. Got you. What, what I want to do, and I've been like working on my little sort of tagline for my bio and stuff, and I've just changed it on Instagram. What I want to do is to help women to feel more at ease in their home and work lives through my writing and also my coaching, my books. Um, 
And so something like that does not make people feel at ease. It makes people feel anxious because mm. whichever side they sit on, they're being questioned. And so I don't, I'd probably been inspired by like the Guardian, which would have a debate, but mm. I'm not the Guardian and the Guardian probably doesn't really care. They probably want loads of debate and loads of, you know, polarized views because that's good for the algorithm and the traffic. But I'm just on my own at the receiving end of of that kind of vitriol is what it felt like mm. um, for just maybe making a wrong decision or just publishing something that wasn't what people wanted to see. But it did make me think, actually, what do I want to put out in the world mm. and start to be a bit more considered. And I was going to circle back to Substack. How long have you been on Substack, Annie? So I joined, I published my first article on International Women's Day, 8th of March this year. This year. Great. Yeah. Amazing. So you made a conscious decision. You were like, that's my launch date. That feels really great for me. And then did you come to Substack with a strategy? Had you spoken to other people that were using the platform? Had you checked in with the staff or were you just kind of coming to it and going, this feels good. I'm going to just do my weeklies and see how it all goes. How did it feel? So I had, I'd had a period where I, I left London um, where I'm from moved to Somerset with my family and I'd stepped away from running my online courses and I was doing bits of poetry. I was selling poetry books on a market stall and had this quite nice time. But I do love, I love the online content side of my work. And with the on, when I was running my online course business, I loved that it sort of grew quickly financially. It was a really good space to be in. And I loved the community and the women and what my courses were helping them to do because they would tell me but I just wasn't writing very much. And so I tried writing poetry and I gave myself a year to just be a poet and see if I could earn a living from it. And I could, but it wasn't, it started to make me, trying to earn my living solely from poetry made me feel like uh, I didn't want to write so much poetry. (laughs) So it sort of zapped my um, creativity a bit. So then I thought, well, I love online content. It's what I've been doing for years. I've been blogging since like 2008, um, always I've had some kind of blog or digital um, content going out. And then, and I started to hear about Substack and some journalist friends were on there. And then I phoned my friend Rosamond, who has a Substack, Rosamond Dean, who does Well, 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 which is a really good um, well-being Substack. And I said, "What like, what's the deal with Substack? How does it work? Is it good? Do you ever run out of ideas? It, does it feel like lots of pressure? And she said that she was loving it and it was working well for her and she's making a bit of money each month and that she was finding one it's really good to create a sort of writing routine to have that focus when she's freelance as well and when you're freelance and your work sort of different each week to have one thing that stays the same feels really nice and quite important so she liked committing to that one article a week and she also found that the more she wrote the more ideas she had which was interesting. So you don't run out of ideas, but the more you're writing, the more you're kind of triggered by things people say, like triggered in a good way, um, and and you're constantly sort of writing down notes and stuff. So she was very positive about it. And so I thought I'd give it a go and that I'd just put out one newsletter a week, one email, not a newsletter, one essay each week on a Wednesday in the middle of the week. And I didn't pay all the first one, but I think it was the first email someone pledged their support so I'd put out this email and I got a note I didn't even understand where it come I'm saying you know so and so has said that they will pay if you start charging for your sub stack and I was like oh wow this could become a thing that people pay for um and then 
I did put a paywall on the next one and got a load of people sign up and start paying. I had it at £3.50 a month at first. And I was amazed that people would pay for my writing and so pleased and started to think about how much of my career this could become, Substack. And I was seeing other people who were making lots of money and doing really well. And so I knew that was a possibility. But I decided to start a second Substack which was just about coaching because I felt I wanted to separate my writing and my coaching so I could do more sort of creative writing under my name, Annie Riddout, and then under Raise Your SQ, the name of my my third book, I would do coaching stuff and share sort of rituals and practices. And I put that, started that one and charged seven pounds a month and people started paying for that one. And so that one started to grow. But then I was running two sub stacks and I was like, isn't it better to just have one community that I'm growing. And also I was seeing that people very kindly were paying for my personal Substack and Raise Your SQ. So it was the same people going between the two and it didn't make sense. So I offered all those people who were um, on the Raise Your SQ one to, to come over to my personal one. I invited them and gave them a couple of months free or something. And I closed that one down and decided to put up the price of my personal Substack and to include coaching and business tips and the, the other stuff that my community wanted beyond just the, the personal essays. Um, and then more people signed up when I said, um, I'm going to start charging £7 a month. I had a massive, uh, you can see it on my graph, my stats, massive influx of paid subscribers, which was lovely. Um, and then, so then I started to see that my days between, when I'm writing books, I'm very focused, but between writing books, particularly after my third book earlier this year, I finished writing it, submitted it. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my time. And I'd tried to do bits of, I did do bits of journalism and I was pitching, but you're sort of paid less per article than you used to be. You're expected to do a lot more work now as a journalist to sort of source images and stuff. And you just never know if you're going to get the commission. So I wanted a regular, I wanted to be writing regularly, getting my ideas out there and published, which you can never, you can, you can pitch a really good article idea and then it never, or what's something you think is a really good idea and it never gets picked up. And then it sort of disappears as, as a freelance journalist. Whereas with Substack, if you have a really good idea, you get to publish it as soon as you're ready to, with all that like good energy around it. And then you, some, you will get people who want to pay to read it. it it's such an incredible um, like model for writers So I then started putting out my Wednesday personal essay on Substack, as well as a Monday kind of business coachy email. Um, And then I launched a podcast on Substack called Home, which felt a bit like off topic compared to some of my other stuff. But it's about the fact that I left London for Somerset and I'm trying to create a sense of home and belonging here. And I wanted to interview other women to understand how they, other people, it's all been women so far. In fact, it is only going to be women except one man, which is going to be my husband. Um, but I wanted to understand how other people who are living somewhere different to where they were born and raised create a sense of home and belonging. And I love doing the podcast. And that's created another focus in my week where every Tuesday I interview someone for the podcast and it goes out on a Friday. So I'm now putting out three emails a week, one podcast, one essay and one sort of coaching business um, article. And also I'm teaching people how to start and grow their own Substack, which has been um, quite popular. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just so much, Annie. It's amazing to hear how you bravely decided, okay, this is one community. I see that really clearly. And I get asked this question a lot. I've done a lot of Substack one-to-ones. I don't do them anymore. Mm. Everything's on Sparkle now. I just want to focus everything in that community. So yeah, people do often get confused around the different parts of themselves and how they they can hold it and honour the fact that they want to show up in this specific niche or this specific topic about themselves and then they get confused around but does the audience want that I don't I don't want to upset them I don't want them to be kind of put off by this but people who have found a way to hold space for all of those strands for themselves are having the best time and then the others work through it and I do think there is there is this phase of just working through it of trying Mm. it working it out speaking with your audience for the first time for me I would say I mean I've I've got an audience on Instagram but it's small so I felt I could speak to them but then I pivoted and did a year-long uh, project called Creativity Island for mums on my maternity leave so it was very much mother focused and yeah. then I lost a load of people obviously because it kind of went niche and then uh, broadened out again but yeah, I feel like we can really speak to our communities on Substack and say, this is where we're headed. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing. We can check. We can even check kind of days of the week. How's this feeling? Yeah. Um, and we can know as well that sometimes we'll put stuff out and they won't have time to get to it. And that's also fine. So yeah. it's it feels like it's just a more expansive space to be a creative. And I love all yeah. of the creativity you've brought to it, Annie. It's very, very inspiring. Well, thank you. Do you know, it's interesting. I started putting out short stories. I wanted to write, I've written a couple of novels. I've never had one published. The third one I'm working on at the moment, I'm hope, I'm hoping will be published. But I wanted to start putting out some fiction. So I started writing these short stories on love and sex, which slightly awkwardly people didn't realise was fiction and just thought was completely... <laughs> <laughs> me and my past oh wow <laughs> she's gone x-rated steady on <laughs> um oh. but what was really nice is people were re- like my open rate is just stays the same mm-hmm. it's almost whatever I put out and people were really enjoying the sh- short stories and I had this separate section but I stopped doing them and someone sort of mentioned it the other day and said they were enjoying them because for me I loved writing them but for me, it was slightly move. It was moving into a different space that I couldn't bridge so easily. So, like yeah. essays, my the essays I write are quite coachy. In that, mm-hmm. like, there's one going out next week about why we're never satisfied, mm-hmm. and it will be a, a kind of study, a journalistic study mm-hmm. um, of of the way we live with um, under the paywall, some like coaching exercises and questions, um, and. Yeah, I I could bridge everything else and I could just about, I did have a lot of time feeling really indecisive and sort of Mm. asking people and stuff, what do you think? Can I do this? And I didn't always get the response that I want. I didn't really get much of a response, actually. I think <laughs> Everyone like, says, "What are you doing? <laughs> Whatever." Like, who cares? it's like the, you do the polls, and you're like, "Okay, two people have said that." Like, do I hone in on that? that I haven't actually. Oh. I haven't done a poll. I did email all my paid subscribers and said, "You know, is this working for you? Let me know if there's anything you want me to write about." And a few people responded, but not many. So I just thought I'm just going to carry on doing what I want, and I might go back to doing short some short stories. But at the moment, what I'm doing feels 
um all links up quite neatly in my head and I need mm-hmm. everything to feel like it's it's linking yeah up. that's the thing isn't it and I've because I've transitioned away from one publication into three uh, and it's a complicated story but it works for me and okay. there's a reason there's a strategy behind it you know there's a there's yeah. a clear strategy and it's really really helpful for me to be able to do the work in separate spaces and mm. to know that long term it's going to help me to hold people that might want to circle back and do and go deeper on something. But last Christmas, I published a children's story just for my paid subscribers that I never expected to publish in the world. You know, I wrote Mm -hmm. it. It was a really beautiful time. It was kind of... um, it was a really intense time. I was dealing with a lot of personal grief. I was backwards and forwards to Holy Island a lot, which is a really special place in the north of England. It's an incredible island. It's got a really rich history. And this story just kind of downloaded. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to write. I've got to write this story. And I sat on it for years. And then I was like, I'm going to publish it as a Christmas present to my Aww. paid subscribers. And that's what I, I did. And that. I've never put any other fiction up but that was just that just felt wow I've got a space for this like I've got somewhere that can hold it and there was a lovely lovely response it was really really nice so who knows what happens but there are all of these unique parts of our creativity and there are these sparks that kind of pop up of things that we want to write about and things that we want to do and I feel Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you do too that Substack can hold space for the podcasting for the fiction you know for the business coaching like all of it can exist in one home yes yeah 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 Yeah. so 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 good to hear yeah I think I've felt for some time because I've run different digital platforms and sometimes I'm being like oh god am I being really scatty by moving around but actually I've sort of always I've seemed to have had a pattern of doing one platform for four years and then something will shift like my kids getting older and moving away from the early hour do the next one for four years next um but Substack feels like as you've said it can hold all of those things and so you don't, I don't now, I'm seeing it work and I'm realising it doesn't make me scatty, but that I have a variety of things to offer and there are people who want all of those things, which is amazing. Yeah, for sure. And when I read your bio and I went on your website and clicked through all of your links, you know, as research for this podcast, I felt very held. I felt inspired about your poetry. I felt, you know, inspired by your success of having three books and three kids. You know, it's like lovely round numbers, isn't it? But like, that's (laughs) massive, you know, and I did put it out to my community to say, have you got any questions for Annie? Like, is there anything that you'd like to know? So, there's a couple, one one mum, she's amazing, um, lover. She's in the middle of writing her first book and it's about how to divorce sober, that's the title. So she's writing this book and um, it's incredible, you know, she's doing incredible work on it, but she wants mm-hmm. to know how do you hold something to the end? If it's a big project, how can you hold enough space to finish it? So I think she's in that sort of sticky place where she's falling out with it a bit and it's really triggering and really difficult. So she wanted to know if you've got any tips on how to hold space Mm. for a huge project and how to kind of actually get to the end, get to completion, because she can see that you've done that and done that really well. Has she has she got a dead has she got a publishing deal and with a deadline? I don't think so, not yet. No, No, I think she just knows all that stuff's coming. It's one of them. Right. I'd say, yeah, because if you've got a, a clear deadline, like mm. you have to submit by this date or you're breaking the contract, um, it's, I think, easier for most of us, mm. whether we do it right up against the deadline or well in advance. I tend to do it a bit earlier on. But so you don't if you don't have a deadline. So I've I spent one summer writing a novel 
And I um, committed a very set amount of time of each weekday evening to writing the novel. I think it can help to have a really set time for when you're going to sit down and write and start really small. So start with like committing 10 minutes a day, um, maybe like, I don't know, Monday to Thursday, 10 minutes a day, whether that's in the evening, the morning, whenever you've got the time and it works um, to writing and stick to it. And what you'll find is that often you'll end up writing for a lot longer than 10 minutes. But by setting a really set, setting a really low sort of target for how long you'll spend, you're not going into it thinking like, oh, God, I've got 50,000 words to write. And it's all this time stretching out in front of me where to start. You're just going what I'm going to do is sit down for 10 minutes and work on this book today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, then I have the weekend off. And so I found that helped me with writing a novel to set a low target of how much time I'd spend. And I stuck with it until I had finished it. I think I also worked out the word count I wanted and how much, how long it would take me if I did. I probably said I'd do an hour a day. If I did an hour a day, if in an hour I can write 3000 words, then how many days will it take me? And then I could set my own deadline. I'll have it finished by October because if I've done an hour a day, Monday to Thursday, um, and that many words each day. So I did set, I probably set myself a word count and a time that I would be doing it each day. Um, And I think it's always really important. I'm not good at doing this myself, but I think it's really important to always have breaks to get out, to walk around. If you're feeling really stuck, even just going like out, the garden, the front door, whatever, and just breathing in some fresh air, having a change of scene, talking to someone, if you can't leave the house, sending a message. And just sometimes you'll find you might be get some kind of new ideas or inspiration or stimulation from just connecting with nature or people. Mm, yeah, she um she goes in the sea every day actually. Oh, so she's got wow. she's got that very deep connection to the sea. But mm-hmm. she'll love that. And I love what you said about the deadline. So whether it's a self-imposed deadline or whether there is actually a deadline and you want to make that deadline. And I do get asked this question a lot and it's not my area of expertise, but maybe we could do a follow-up blog or something around when people write the proposal, when they write the actual book, when they find the agent, what the timelines are, because mm. it's a whole mystery, the publishing industry. And there are some great substacks that unpack some of it. But yeah. oftentimes I hear this. And then there was a magical unicorn landed in the garden with a book deal. You know, it is literally yeah. that. It's like, oh, great, good. You know, so there's lots of us that are just so curious, you know, about, OK, yeah. what, how is that and how does that feel? And then there's the other side of it where people are really struggling with the promotion, the self-promotion, the like, you know, getting those pre-sales in and people being really open and honest about that space mm-hmm. as well, because it's not all rainbows and unicorns, you know, I've got a book deal, that's it. I've completed life. It's not, is it? You no, know, it's no, no. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to keep getting book deals, you do need to be selling, I guess, a certain amount of books hmm. so that they're still interested. So that, yeah, there is, and hopefully your publisher will do some of the press for you, but you are expected to do a certain amount and it feels good to be involved in in promoting your book. But yeah, I think what's important to remember is you're right. It rarely is that a book deal just lands on your desk unless you have already spent years growing a massive community and then suddenly someone might sweep in and say, write a book, I'll be your agent. But otherwise, um, it's putting together a proposal for a non-fiction book. You, you write the proposal um, and then and you can find easily find guidelines for that on Google. Um, and then you send it out to agents. And then when you're represented by an agent, they will send your proposal that help you to make your proposal better. And then they send it out to publishers. That's how the like traditional way to get a book deal. But as I said, with my first book deal, I met someone 
who knew someone and I just said can I have her email address and I had to be a bit like brave and put myself forward but I did lead eventually took about a year to having my first book deal Mm. so I think remember that there are rules and then there are people who just don't follow the rules or situations where it's you you can go in the back door sometimes it's just we're we're all people in we're all people in the world aren't we yeah we're all people just in the world doing our thing so sometimes like I think I just reached out on Instagram didn't I like earlier in the week I was like I'd love I've read this I'd love you to come on the podcast and you're like yeah sure here's my email you know so even even for people to hear that they will say what Claire you just messaged on Instagram like I've got gorgeous people that I work with regularly that are like I really I just struggle with reaching out and I'm like you just oh, reach really? out yeah you yeah, just reach yeah. Out. but that's that doesn't always come naturally and easily you know it can come yeah. with that kind of feeling of vulnerability or risk or whatever but yeah I was just really inspired by what you were putting out and I thought let's chat um uh-huh. so the last question that I had and this is a really interesting one and we'll all have different ways of, of coming at it but people ask a lot on Substack and have asked me again this week, how do you decide what is paywalled content and what is free content? And are you always, when you have your paid for subscribers set up, when you've got your membership space there, are you always focused your free, focusing your free content on trying to convert to paid or are you really still happy to put free content out and put those essays out for free subscribers? How are you serving both and how do you decide, okay, this is a paid for piece, a paywalled piece, this is a free piece? Um, so if I do put out a free piece, it's not with the intention of getting paid subscribers. It's with the intention of getting more new subscribers. Mm. So I put in share buttons in the hope that people, if it's free and open, people might share it. If it's paywalled, people won't share it because the next person has to pay to read it. I don't think they will share it anyway. So I will put out a piece that I think, um, is will be like something quite juicy or interesting that people will want to read will hopefully share and I can grow my community and then a proportion of those people who join might then want to pay to be become a part of the whole community um at the moment I'm paywalling all of my articles nearly all of them I go through stages if I'm in a bit of a fear stage then I will put out more free stuff thinking I need to keep growing the community am I pissing off the existing community because I've got thousands of subscribers and hundreds of paid subscribers so there's a lot of people who are staying but aren't paying so um then I'll put out lots of free stuff but then I'll see that I'm not getting any paid subscribers when I'm putting out free stuff because people don't tend to volunteer with my Substack to pay and then I start putting the paywall stuff and I get paid subscribers again. So I was like, well, maybe. And then, do you know, Clover Stroud, do you know Clover Stroud, the author? I interviewed her for my podcast the other day and she said to me, she's going to start a Substack." And she said, do you know what? It's all going to be paid for because I'm a writer and I need to be paid. And it really sort of sparked something in me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I spent years putting out free content on Instagram, on the early hour, through my online course platform. I've had all these platforms and I've written so much stuff that's gone out for free. And maybe now it's okay to have a time where it's all behind a paywall. I love that. Yeah, I've been chatting to Clover quite a bit, actually. And 
this whole space of being paid for your work and um, what you are able to craft and create and hold in us readers as professional writers is, is valuable. You know, it's really, really valuable. And I do see writers that just go, right, that's it now, everything's paywalled. And then they might take the paywall off for like a weekend or something. You know, there's lots right. of strategy yeah, around yeah. that. And I do think it's super that's interesting. Yeah, mm. it's a really good idea. Um, no. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, you know, another, another one I know. So there's so many different ways to approach it, isn't there? And I think you know, for for the people who are wondering between paid and free, I think you really have to just feel into your intuition and what feels right. And you yeah. have to work through all those blocks of vulnerability and all of those creative blocks and all of those comparison blocks. And they're going to crop up again and again. But yeah. if you know what you're doing and what you're putting out feels good and you're serving your free I mean we don't they're not really free either they're giving us their time you know they're beautiful yeah. people in the world that our work's landing with we're all just coming to it from different places aren't we it was so yeah. interesting to hear but you know something that actually worked really well for me at the start which I'm now going back to I've just remembered as you've been talking is what I was doing at the start was I would write a personal story personal essay and then I'd have a paywall so they get a lot and all anyone subscribed would get a lot of this whole story then at the bottom I'd say um one way to work through this if this is something you're experiencing is and then under the paywall I put coaching questions mm -hmm. so it was a way to to invite people in to the community to the story but the coaching bit was the bit that at, at that time I felt more comfortable charging for because coaching is very much my job whereas writing is my um my hobby and love and passion as well as my job and so that did work quite well and I've got one going out on Monday which is you get a, a lot of writing this whole kind of essay again but at the bottom if you want more the coaching bit then that's what's under the paywall so that can work quite well to have yeah that's a re yeah that's a really nice technique as well and it's very inviting you know even if people are kind of working through those questions in their own journals or maybe they, they're you know strong enough to come back to the comments and go oh you know that was really great and stuff and I think having those smaller communities um, within comments has been really, mm. really insightful for me because people are so ready to be seen and heard. You know, on Instagram, it's like comment for the algorithm and comment, but it's not it's not really a conversation. Well, it hasn't been for me. I know it is for other people, but there it feels like it can go into a conversation that's like five and six threads deep within the yeah. comments about you know what is one response to your piece and I love that mm. it's a really great thing mm. great okay well we will probably wrap up there but where can people find your substack just the one substack now we've circled back so one. what's it called yeah. Annie it's annieridout.substack.com okay so you've gone with your name everyone's always interested in that as well whether you've yeah, got it's like, hard. <laughs> yeah it's hard to know isn't it yeah I get asked that question a lot so you can find Annie on Substack and on Instagram you're very active on Instagram as well aren't you so people yeah. can kind of follow along with what you're doing and work that all out and if you want to join Annie's community it sounds like she offers a lot behind the paywall so that sounds a really generous space to be part of so Thank thanks you. again Annie for, for chatting today it's been so lovely to get to know you um and we'll talk again soon Thank you so much for having me.